Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from ruining your life? Join award-winning author and breakthrough expert, Dr. Friedman Schaub for Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most difficult challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Here is your host on Empowerment Radio, Dr. Friedman Schaub. Welcome, welcome to Empowerment Radio. Yeah, it (laughs) it is my great pleasure to have a very special guest today who will, I don't know how to start, answer all the big questions of life. And the questions that I think, you know, you and I have really been struggling with, which are questions about struggle and suffering and pain and loss and anxiety, because we do feel at times overwhelmed by it, right? And sometimes when we are in the midst of the pain and the suffering, we do feel also that there is a sense of feeling lost for answers and then we have two choices you know we are so used to in our society to actually feel comfortable trying to be in control at all times and just planning ahead and basically knowing what the outcome will be and then life happens and it doesn't happen our way and then something happens that causes us anxiety or doubt or maybe pain or hurt And then we have these two choices where we either just try to ignore it, distract ourselves from it, take a few pharmaceuticals, or just go into some instant uh, pleasure and, uh, and enjoyment to not have to feel the pain or the suffering. Or when we cannot ignore it anymore, we become so focused on it. It just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is all encompassing. And all of a sudden, the anxiety and the insecurity defines not only our day, it defines our life, it defines ourselves. Now, as we are going through suffering, we obviously have a problem on how do we deal with it. And here come the ancient mystics like Rumi that are teaching us to embrace suffering, to embrace suffering even when it's painful. Embrace suffering as just a symptom that is ultimately a sign that our closed hearts are opening up. And that's what Rumi said. Rumi said wounds are the places where the light enters. Suffering is a gift in its hidden mercy. And he also says, Pains are messengers. Do not turn away from these foolish ones. Well, that sounds all wonderful and great, but how do we do this? How can we go through suffering with greater grace and ease? How can we start embracing suffering as teachers, as transformational times in our lives without really getting completely absorbed in the discomfort? And that is where I have this wonderful guest today, which is Kamla Kapoor. She is the author of several books, but her newest book is 
Rumi, Tales of the Spirit. And I have to say, you know, sometimes you come across books that really touch you. And when you read them, you just feel like there is so much truth that comes out of every page. And this book that uh, Kamala wrote is a book with the stories of, with some stories of Rumi, but then also her commentary, her interpretation, her personal story. So it's a really rich book full of life lessons and uh, full of also bridges to, to hope and, and deeper understanding. So it's my great pleasure to have Kamla on the show. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Friedman. <laughs> yeah, I really love your book. And, uh, and you know, Rumi is someone I have always enjoyed uh, because simple sentences and concepts, he just finds the most beautiful words for. And uh, there's just the wisdom in what he's teaching. But for those of us that may never have heard about Rumi, who is Rumi? And how did you become interested in him? Well, Rumi was a 13th century you know, ordinary person like you and me, uh, going about business as usual, uh, you, you know, studying law. He was a nobleman. And he, um, you know, we would never have heard of Rumi if it weren't for a huge a tragedy in his life. And the tragedy, um, actually, the tragedy was preceded by a marvelous gift, which was the entrance into his life of um, a wandering minstrel called Shams. And Rumi absolutely fell in love with him and of course we don't know whether this love was physical or metaphysical and in the end it doesn't matter because physical and metaphysical uh, are on a continuum and one learns the one uh, into the other so he he met him and he fell in love with him and just a few years later he lost him he some say he was murdered by all um you know rumi's son for example who was very jealous of his relationship with shams so this death caused a deep wound in rumi and uh, and from this wound sprang um, the six volumes uh, of the Matnavi, uh, which have survived for 800 years. So uh, somebody suggested to him, why not write about, um, uh, about your pain? And so his book starts with, um, you know, listen to the read how it complains of separations, lamenting ever since I was removed from the reed bed, my lament has caused men and women to moan. So Ruby makes it very clear that it is our separation. It is the reed that was separated from its matrix, from the whole universe. Uh, its connection to the whole universe that makes it sing and that makes it lament about separation. So uh, that is the root cause 
of all our suffering. And uh, if you want to put it in a more direct way, uh, you can you can widen it and say it. This connection that we bemoan, that we feel we don't have, is to the entire universe, and uh, which we forget. I mean, we we so sort of, um, you know, shrouded in our own selves that we don't uh, allow ourselves to get out of it and uh, face the sun, as Rumi would call it. I mean, it turned from the shadow of your ego and face the sun. Or you could even call it God. Right. Uh, and you know, so it depends on what your philosophy is and what you, you could call it nature. Um, uh, and it all means the same thing, which is something vast in us to which we were connected, but from which we have either separated ourselves or from which the times have separated us or from which our, um, our pursuit of too much business is you usual has separated us. So um, that is the very foundation from which Rumi starts. And I got into Rumi actually because I have always been interested in ways to um, get out of suffering, you know, to mitigate my suffering because I'm just a human and, and I don't have the answers to everything, but I do have the answers to some things that have made my life so much better. Mm -hmm. And my interest in uh, Rumi sprang from my interest in wanting to tell tales from each tradition, from many traditions, in order to show that the message and the roots are the same for all of us, whether it's Christian or Jewish. Or um, uh, I've written books from the Hindu tradition, from the Sikh tradition, from the Islamic tradition. And so I, I, Rumi was given to me as a gift, actually. I just found him on the shelves of my husband's um, uh, you know, bookcase when I moved in with him, and it's, uh, and and I was very attracted to him. And those first few lines about the reed just pulled me in, like I was like uh, a fish that was being reeled in. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it was like I was hooked. I I knew I had to work with Rumi, and uh, I had heard about Rumi as a poet, but I hadn't known that Rumi was a storyteller. And so um, when I found that he was a storyteller, and I'm basically a storyteller, I wanted to tell some of his, retell and recreate some of his stories because Rumi is very frustrating to read. You know, you've got these six huge volumes that um, are set up, um, written at a time when people had time. And so he could digress, he could discourse, he could flow like a river, something that 
who you've forgotten how to do. And uh, so he, he flowed from poetry to story and story to story, leaving one, you know, in the first volume and then getting to it in the second and sometimes not even <laughs> ending it, you know. So uh, I had to invent the names of the characters. I had to invent sometimes the endings of the stories. And I had to develop them for a mo modern audience because we like stories that are detailed. And so I basically went into them and just like I'd recreated stories from the Sikh and the, uh, the Hindu tradition, I recreated it from the Sufi tradition. And a Sufism is the mystical version of Islam, just like we have um, in the Christian tradition, we have the Bible and then we have the Gnostic Gospels, which gives um, everything a, a mystical spin. And right. by mystical, I mean a broader vision of the universe, something that connects us to everybody uh, and religion. Well, I love that you were navigating so nicely through the river of uh, Rumi's uh, writings and teachings. And uh, after the break, we will write, delve into it because uh, some of the findings that you have brought with you are just marvelous. And so when we come back, we'll talk about that big question when we suffer of why. Why does it happen to me? Why does a God let this happen? And how do we reconcile with that question? We will be right back. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy Obear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy Obear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. times do you find yourself saying it was nothing next time someone tells you great job you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to courage to be seen radio with host sherry clark sherry clark is an experienced global engineering leader coach and mentor from her experiences one-on-one -on -one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success learn about the aces program how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com, and listen to the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific with host Sherry Clark. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. 
Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. I'm here with Kamla Kapoor, who wrote a beautiful book, Rumi, Tales of the Spirit, which uh, teaches a lot about life through the wisdom of an ancient mystic, which is Rumi. Now, before the break, I asked uh, Kamla to share a little bit about uh, the question of why we are suffering, which we so often ask ourselves. It's that big question of uh, the unfairness. Why should this happen to us? Or maybe when we are suffering, we are also losing that faith in the universe, faith in life, faith in God. And so there is a story that, uh, that uh, Rumi is sharing about Ahmed. And uh, I think that was a really wonderful story that can explain a little bit about why the why may not always be so obvious and not so important to be answered right away. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, is a, it's a very short story. Uh, Emma is sleeping in an orchard and sleeping for Rumi is a metaphor for being unaware. And he's sleeping and he's suddenly woken up by somebody whipping him and kicking him and uh, so and telling him to run, run. So he, this is Emma, this is really flabbergasted. Why is this happening to me? And the stranger says to him, you know, eat all these rotten apples. And he eats all these rotten apples. And then uh, the stranger makes him drink uh, enormous amounts of water till Emma throws up. And he sees in his body a black snake uh, reaching. And so the stranger explains to him that I was hitting you and beating you. I wanted to you I you to get that um, snake out of yourself. And I was I was walking by you when I saw your you were sleeping with your mouth open and this black snake slithering into your mouth. So Emmett says, "Why didn't you just tell me that I'd swallowed a black snake and I could have borne my suffering better?" But the stranger says, if I told you that, you would have been a fright. So uh, this story links very directly with what you were talking about, Friedman, which is that when we are suffering and being whipped and beaten and uh, you know, and we lose our faith in God and, and ourselves, uh, then um, we simply have to trust that it is for a purpose, because as all these Rumi stories show, and in my own experience, for example, uh, when I look back at my suffering, I realized that it was always to teach me something. And being human, 
we cannot seem to learn without suffering. And, you know, um, Rumi says, what is the definition of a Sufi? And the answer is someone who rejoices at the coming of sorrow. Because the Sufis are so enlightened that they know that suffering is a gift. It's ultimate, even though we suffer a lot, we don't want it. We're not like the Sufis. We don't welcome But I think, you know, we should try and... Well, I can't get there because when I'm suffering, I'm just suffering and I just make notes to myself, uh, which I find very important. Sometimes I forget to look at my notes when I'm suffering because I'm suffering so much. But, you know, it's helpful to know that every time I've come out of suffering, tragedies in my life, huge tragedies in my life, that something wonderful has come out of it. It's like Rumi says, the water of life is in the land of darkness. Mm. So suffering is very potent medicine. In fact, it's very bitter medicine, but it is necessary uh, for us. And, and, and what do you do when you're suffering? And like I said, you don't even remember anything good will come of it. You know, I think the best we can do suffering is to enter because we get into so much trouble when we try to escape it. For example, I always suffer intensely when I, I lived three, uh, six months in India. Every time I come to America for three weeks, I'm jet lagged. I'm unwell. I'm in the land of darkness, you know. So to remember uh, to, uh, to endure it, mm. to embrace to know that it has an end and to know that embracing it brings about its end. And how do you embrace it? You know, Rumi teaches us techniques, how to embrace it. One of the time-tested techniques from almost all the traditions I've explored is acceptance. To Once you accept your suffering and say, there is a purpose behind it that, you know, uh, Christians call it God's will. The Sikhs call it hukam. It's a command from the universe that you have to suffer right now. So if you surrender to that suffering and you surrender to that command, which, uh, um, you know, uh, to endure the suffering, to embrace it, then that hastens its end. It, um, I have myself experienced very strongly that to accept that I am suffering now already almost immediately takes away some of the darkness and gives me a path to tread and brings about some light. So when you accept it as that step before a greater learning, for example. So let's say, for example, you had a lot of suffering in your life and afterwards you could always tell, I learned a lot from it. I actually yeah. grew from it. So is it easier to accept when we know there will be growth coming from it, there will be a learning coming from it? Is that something that you experienced as, yeah, 
easier to be able to sit with it. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, I can divide my life into two, uh, before and afters, and the, the most traumatic event of my life was when, um, w you know, my previous husband committed suicide. And everything I know about love and loving has come from that episode. And um, um, the success of my current um, marriage has come from that because you learn what not to do. We are like, we are like trees and the universe prunes us, uh, prunes us when we're going in the wrong direction, you know. And the way we go in the wrong, in the wrong direction is when we go into oh, woe is me, why is the universe doing this to me, why me, um, why do I have to suffer so much? And it's okay to go through phases like that. It, it's human to go through phases. To not come down on yourself for, for doing that occasionally, but we must make it a habit because as soon as we've made it a habit, then we've fallen into the pit. And it's impossible to get out of it. So we have to keep making these tiny steps in the right direction. But that's, a, you know, the second step that you wrote in the book of, you know, the four steps of how to deal with suffering. The first one was the acceptance of now I'm suffering. The second one was also the realization that your suffering was caused by your lack of vigilance. So that yeah, sounds a little yes. tricky. Because it feels to me then, well, I always have to blame myself when I'm suffering. There's always a sense of, well, it's my fault because I wasn't vigilant. And doesn't that create a hypervigilance of never wanting to make a mistake and always looking over your actions and wondering, do I cause suffering or not? So how can we ever be at peace there? That's a, a wonderful question and a very important one because we can fall into a vicious circle, uh, like you just said, you know. Well, again, there are many techniques. And I think, first, I just want to talk a little bit about vigilance. And we can't be vigilant all the time. But what I want to go into is I think the primary condition for self-growth is self-love, not the egotistical love that, um, uh, you know, so oh, I'm great and I'm, I'm never, I'm never wrong and everybody else is wrong. Not that kind of, uh, you know, egotistical, uh, self-love, narcissistic, but the love of oneself because we are human just like everybody else. And we have to forgive ourselves for being human. One of the things that I do when I'm down on myself is I make a list of all the things I'm doing right, all the things that I'm wonderful at. And I'm wonderful at that because I'm a human. Hmm. And it is great to be a human. As a human, I'm connected to the worst and the best in us. You know, to focus only on the worst is to shortchange ourselves 
is to be very unkind to ourselves. So it is okay for us to have lapses in our vigilance. And we will have lapses in our vigilance because and suffer as a result of non-vigilance because suffering is so important for us to learn to be another way, to transform ourselves, to grow. But what is the vigilance? Vigilance in what way? How do we practice vigilance? Vigilance is a huge topic, and I'm writing a whole book about it. But let me just say in very brief that the enemy is within. And the enemy is our thoughts. You know, Rumi has a line. He says he locked himself within his house and he didn't realize that the enemy was inside. And who is the enemy? What is the enemy? You know, the enemy is our thoughts, our unchecked thoughts that take us into despair and that take us into self-flagellation, that take us into unkind unkind thoughts about ourselves. You know, all the things that take us into darkness. So um, I've also written a book about Guru Nanak, and here's a one phrase. He says, the one that conquers his mind or her mind conquers the world. And ever since I have started watching my thoughts, I, I'll suffer for a day and I realize, aha, I've been very unkind to myself. I'm whipping myself, say, for example, for not writing today, or for not exercising today, or for being a total um, couch, couch potato today, you know. And then I realized, well, you can change it. I, I have been unkind to myself, and I have been unkind to myself on a day that I needed to rest. So I can start making tiny baby steps in the right direction, you know? Uh, making a list, for example, writing down one good thing I did that day, you know? And being grateful, I mean, gratitude is a whole different subject. You know, you find when you're getting into these dark places that you're not being grateful for all the things you have. So make a list of all the things that you do have. You know, I, I have a wonderful marriage, I have health, I have, I'm living in a high house I've, I've got things to eat i've got my five fingers i've got my five uh, you know i've got my you know if you start counting all the things that are right with your body and and in your life then you your your mind switches directions and the more that you start thinking about the good things then the more you think about them again and again the more so it's, it's your these feeling are habits these are habits of mind yeah. I think it is a habit of mind. So that's vigilance, that's trying to direct your mind. Now, couldn't we also have a little compassion for this mind of ours that just tries to protect us ultimately? It doesn't want us to just sit on the couch and be a nobody. It doesn't want us to not fit in and potentially get rejected just because we are too happy doesn't want us to have pain. I mean, it's a self-protective method that the mind is doing by always checking, are you good enough? Are you doing enough? Are you measuring up? And so can we have also love for that part of us? Absolutely. So compassion is the other word for, for self-love. And, you know, 
of this questioning that we go through is necessary for us to grow. You know, if I say, okay, I come down myself for being a couch potato, and um, and then I realize that, okay, I can make a small step towards my study and read something, maybe read a line by Rumi, you know, to get out of it. So, you know, we will self-flagellate, but we have to realize if we make it a note to ourselves and say, it's okay for me to do this, but it's also okay for me to get out of it. So it doesn't have to be an either or. or. You know, right. that's the either or fa or fallacy. We yeah. can navigate. I mean, the, 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 the image and the metaphors of a boat. Imagine yourself in a boat. Do you want to go in the direction of the storm or do you want to go in the direction of the beach where the sun is shining? Sometimes you don't have a choice. You're driven into a storm. You know, and it's okay to be in a storm if you trust the storm and remember that it's like Rumi says, you know, the person, the God that takes you into darkness, so guides you. Hmm. And that's the ultimate non-duality, you know, it's, 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 it's okay to be in a storm. But it's not okay to keep staying in that storm because you are not remembering. The trick, bottom line, is to remember, to remember, you know, and to remember that you've forgotten that there are other ways of being, mm. that you have had good times, that you are capable of them. So that it, that becomes important. You know, I mean, I can't stress enough self-responsibility. Also, uh, and the other hand, is lack of vigilance. So we kind of swing between the two poles, and it's right. okay to swing between the two poles. But it's also important to know and to accept that it's always better to stay, take the middle path. You know, Rumi says that. All the guides and gurus, I mean, the Stoics say that. So, and okay. I have to stress, I have to stress, uh, in all this, I'm, I've been saying, I've, I've forgotten something very important, that you have to turn to the higher power for help. And then well, that's, uh, that's the fifth step that you're mentioning. And uh, I think that's a really interesting step, which is a step basically of saying you have to surrender. You have to be willing to. to surrender to, yeah, that's a question to whom, because not everyone shares a spiritual belief. Not everyone has a faith or religion to hold on to. So what about those that are... Well, what do they surrender again, to? Again, very important point. You know, um, if you don't believe in God and you've never had a, a habit of believing in God, you can think of it as the universe. You can think of it as your higher self. You know, notice that you do have a self that is higher, that tells you, that there is a right thing to do, there is a right way to think, there is a right way to be. And this higher self that is inside you, it's not out there, 
you know, we are universes. We are the universes. And so to, to surrender to that higher self that is in you, that is your higher self, uh, to say, to say to that higher self, I'm lost. Because we all have periods in our life where we are lost. You know, I'm lost. Help me. So just to say, help me to whoever, it could be, you know, a, a statue that you worship, or it could be a tree that you like, uh, and uh, embrace the tree. And I've done it myself. You know, I'm a tree hugger. I go hug trees and I say, you who lived for 200 years and know how to live better than me, help me. That's why I think books are so important because yeah. books are my resource. Books are my resource. They always put you on the right path. They always teach you how to think in better ways, you know, and, and to come back to love yourself. You know, love yourself before you love your neighbor. You know, I would, I would turn that around a little bit because that's the root of everything. Be kind to yourself. Be gentle to yourself. Hug yourself. Write down notes about all the good things that are good about you. You know, make I love that advice. I think that's something that we unfortunately don't do enough. Now, my best ideas and best thoughts often come in the shower so that's a little challenging to write the notes then and then once i'm out i forget but i think in general just having the practice of journaling and and writing notes that also are uplifting that uh, is i feel like a very self-loving and self-healing habit now coming back to surrendering which i think is just tied into trusting and it's also tied into uh, dealing with doubt because doubt is one of our uh, greatest challenges. But uh, as you also wrote in your book, it's ultimately that beautiful uh, part of us that brings us to that choice point where we can choose to either go into that place of staying in the doubt and staying in the worry that leads to anxiety and staying in the indecision or going to the faith place to the leap of faith place and and you know yeah. really again opening up to what is possible surrendering is something that i feel mark and joseph have done in this book as well the story of you know joseph being thrown into the well by his brothers and mark his best friend being completely distraught by the loss and tell us a little bit about that story Yes, I will. I just want to uh, go back just a little bit uh, to say that we're always surrendering to something. We are surrendering to despair. We sur surrender to doubt. We surrender to anxiety. When we let ourselves sink into these, we are surrendering to them. So that mm. our choice is, what are you going to surrender to? Are you going to surrender to all these dark negative things? Or are you going to surrender to the will of the universe or the cosmos that is making you suffer right then? You see, it's like, uh, you know, Melville says at one, one point, uh, who ain't a slave? We're all slaves. Rumi says, uh, you know, we, are, we can be slaves to our egoic selves. We can be slaves to our higher self. So, uh, you yeah, 
you know, uh, like Rumi says, who are our spirits and our guides? They're the ones who escape the cage. We're all in cages, you know. So let right. me back to um, right. to Mark and Joseph. Now, Mark loves Joseph, and uh, Joseph has terrible experiences. You know, he's thrown into a well. His brothers try to kill him. And uh, Mark is so disappointed with the universe in which such horrible things happen that he his faith, he roams the world, uh, you know, filled with doubt and angry and upset, and it's not him any good till a chance encounter takes him back to Joseph, and he finds that Joseph is still alive, and he meets Joseph, and he poses exactly these questions to him that you're posing to me, Friedman, which can you trust a world that can be so cruel? You know, your brothers did this and, and they did that and you forgave your brothers and you, uh, you, know, you loved your brothers even though they did. And you know what Joseph's response is? Joseph said, if my brothers hadn't done all of this to me, I would not have been the person I am today. Because he's become the pharaoh's dream interpreter, he becomes a governor, and all of this because his suffering, he hasn't surrendered all of himself to, to his, the tragedies of his life. He has grown from them. So, and every time I um, believe in the story, it was that he actually knew no matter what disappointment or no matter what tragedy, something will come out of it and uh, something will transpire, a door will open. And, uh, you know, some people would say, well, this is blind faith. But in the end, I think it's the path of the mystic just to see that there is a wisdom behind all the suffering and there is an opportunity for that that grows to who we are meant to be, just like Joseph was meant to be that person that he became in that story. Yes, yes. And uh, his his faith bore dividends, you know, literally in terms of his success in life and his success in in the life of the spirit. So, you know, even if you don't believe that something good is going to come out of it, maybe, you know, one of the uh, writing assignments I would give to my students when I was a teacher is write about uh, something terrible that happened to you. Just write about it. Just writing about it helps it get it out of you. And then go back and see if anything good came out of it, you know. So let's say you find nothing good about it. and even then, there is so much to gain from accepting your suffering, surrendering mm -hmm. to it, and mm -hmm. knowing that you are enduring it. Right. You know? And then you can come out of it knowing, you know, I endured it. I had the courage to endure it. So, yeah. go ahead. No, what I, you know, one of the greatest sufferings, and I think you personally have experienced this, is the suffering of loss. You know, yeah. my one of my hardest years when was when I lost uh, my parents, uh, both in the same year, and we found out that we couldn't have children. So it was like, you know, one thing after another, and and it certainly was also that that seed that 
planted a transformation in uh, our way of living and uh, in our relationship and also in how I approach life in general. So it was a catalyst, but in the moment, of course, the loss was very painful. And so what does Rumi uh, teach about loss? Is there even loss or is a trust just a transmutation into a different form or what are his thoughts what? about it? Well, you know, um, I don't have children either. And I have reached a place where finally I'm really okay with it. I, I in fact, I know so many of my friends who have children who are suffering so much because of them, you know, that I'm grateful. I'm, I've actually reached a point where I'm grateful for not having them. Um, you know, Rumi's life, Rumi himself is an example of how to deal with loss. He lost the person he loved best shuns. and look what came out of it he he has given us gems eight that we are still that are still helping us to navigate life 800 years later you know that loss we we suffer from loss there's no way i suffered from the loss of my parents um deeply and i still miss them but I believe in the power of the imagination. You know, Einstein himself said, you know, the imagination is more important than knowledge. And I feel my parents around me all the time. I believe that my relationship with them has continued beyond death. I dream about them. Um, uh, I, um, I love them in my dreams. They love me in my Dreams. And sometimes the dreams are not all that good. They can be nightmarish. But that's part <laughs> of what we did in this new right. world. Yeah. yeah. So even good things come out of loss as well. So loss, loss can is be another seen as a, as a room that is created for something good to come in. Once that what we loved or what we held on to has moved on. So it's a little vacuum of uh, maybe some wisdom coming in, which I often wondered how did Rumi actually learn to write and how did this all come in? Was he channeling this? Was there a guide speaking through him? I mean, it's a, it's a marvelous uh, accomplishment out of nowhere. But you know, there's um, uh, there's one tradition that says that Rumi didn't write the books, that he dictated them to somebody. It all came pouring out of him. And uh, that makes sense to me because that um, the manner of his telling his tale is like talking, you know, going back and forth. And, and so th that may have been it. But somebody suggested to him, write it down. And he did. And thank God he did. So, like you said, you know, loss opens up a vacuum uh, and um, for wisdom or other people to come in. You know, if we are open to suffering and we say, okay, it's okay to suffer, then, uh, you know, uh, then we are open to the universe. We are open to other people coming into our lives. We are open to other things coming into our lives. You know, but if you close down with your suffering and lock down with it, and 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 those do lock down with it, 
must have compassion for themselves and we must have compassion for people who lock down and 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 i can only advise them to seek whether it's you know going to a psychologist whether it's reading books whether it's turning to a religion that does not teach hate you know because we have to watch out for religions that teach hate right, and right. we have to have we have to have a criteria for who to turn to uh, somebody that is opening us up to the universe to others to to life to wonder to awe you know uh, awe is the one or just go out into your garden look at a flower and see the universe in a flower you know and 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 einstein himself says you know those who don't wonder and ha- don't have awe are like snuffed out candles we must practice awe go to the beach look at the ocean look at a tree look at how it's come to be look at yourself in the mirror and say wow you here <laughs> well and i think who that's what you? I- who are you You're a miracle. You're a mystery. Even when you're unhappy and locked down, you're a mystery. Well, I wanted to just uh because we only have unfortunately a few minutes left, like 3 minutes. I just wanted to come back to what you basically alluded right now, but also at the beginning of the program, which is that the root of suffering is a disconnection. and that disconnection from ourselves the disconnection from the universe from our higher selves and and i think when you're saying like you know look at the odds in your life that's one form of reconnecting but another form of reconnecting you said in your book is also prayer and really just you know reaching out and what what would you say are for you the best forms when we are in suffering due to disconnection to open up and reconnect again yes and it's 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 where the, where rumi's book starts it starts with separation mm-hmm. you know somebody's taken out that reed from a reed bed and chiseled it and drilled holes in it and you know made it suffer a lot before it can sing before right. it can make music you know so it's separation I mean, if you can't turn to god turn to somebody else who you trust mm-hmm. turn to another human being you know uh, turn to nature turn to um a uh, you know a psychologist turn to your higher self and just say you know i'm lost just to admit that you're lost is a beginning isn't it and and i would like to be to feel okay again and right. and you know uh, so uh, you know whatever religion or you belong to or don't belong to uh you you still have recourse there is recourse there is help out there and to know it is uh to know it is one step a huge step in the right direction uh, it's a, it's a more giant step than going to and to remember to remember that uh, there is recourse there is help and do you believe that uh, according to those teachings one of the greatest gifts or maybe the purpose of this life is to 
reconnect or live from a place of oneness or connection? Absolutely. Oneness is the message of Rumi. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you a really brief parable. You know, he's, uh, uh, a sheikh sends his disciple into the other room and he says, get me, uh, get me that bottle, you know. And this disciple comes and he says, which bottle? He says, there's only one bottle in the room. And he says, no, no there are two bottles in the room. So the sheikh says, no, there's one bottle. And he says, break the other bottle. So the disciple goes in, picks up one of the two bottles and throws it on the ground and breaks. And he notices that there is no other bottle. You see, oneness, duality is the greatest of our delusions. Mm. We think just because we have a skin that separates us from others, that separates us from nature and the universe and God, if you want to call it that. Uh, that uh, it's it's things are separated because Rumi's message is oneness. We are one. We are one with all the things that we are a part of. We are tiny little things in a huge universe, and we are connected to it. Let's not well, forget I, that. And I have to say, uh, in my work with clients, uh, especially when they are dealing with fear, anxiety, and also depression. I see over and over again that the separation, the feeling of separate from others, from family, from love, from themselves, is one of those root causes. It's definitely it's a horrible feeling to feel separate. Yeah. It's a horrible feeling to feel alone, you know? And I have compassion for them who feel that way. And they must have compassion for themselves right. for feeling alone. And they must seek connection wherever they can find it, be it yeah. in doing working with your hands, doing anything, you know. I have a I embroider and I I, I embroider shawls and I call them my desperation shawls. Every time I'm desperate, I go start embroidering, you know. Uh. And and I feel I feel it just feels so connected to just everything because my mind becomes silent. So doing things with your hands and getting out, going for a walk when you're really feeling low, you know, doing one little stretch, uh, you know, singing one note. I mean, these are very tiny things you can do to to feel better and to feel connected because ultimately well, we're connected. I would love to talk with you for another couple of hours. There's so much to just uh, that you share and so much beauty coming from your words and so much wisdom from your teaching. So thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are already at the end of this program, but uh, I think you left us with so many wonderful seeds of the mystics, but also of your own uh, wisdom. So I really appreciate you and for anyone who wants to read your book, can they go to website, Amazon? It's Rumi Tales of the Spirit. How can they find it? They can. Uh, it's available uh, in the continent as well as America um, online or at my website, kamlakekapoor.com. And uh, so um, uh, they are available. They're available in in, in the in South Asian subcontinent also uh, under a different title, Rumi Tales to Live By. Okay. Well, thank you so much. 
And uh, thank you for all the listeners and also those that were on Facebook Live to join us. Until next time, try to just work your life through with those principles of oneness and embracing the duality, embracing suffering, and knowing that there is some just uh, transformational energy, some message, some opportunity that comes with it. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>